I know some of y'all were watching to see what would happen. So that is a good thing. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Ruth. Might should go quickly. Ruth chapter 1. Y'all know our, our pastor. And you know the verse that says to be ready in season and out of season. I did not know that I was going to have the privilege of um, being with you tonight. And then, I don't know if it was Monday night or Tuesday night, he mentioned that he was going to be going with Brother Herb and the Wisnets down to uh, Port Arthur area. And uh, Brittany nudged me, and she said, looks like you're up. And uh, so that was, my, that was my cue. So I'm excited to be here with you and thought we might just walk through a little bit of Ruth together. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and find it, Ruth chapter 1, and that's what we're going to do. We're just going to walk through the text, walk through the scripture, and study it, see what the Lord has for us tonight. Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 1. <clears throat> the Bible says, <clears throat> In the days when the judges ruled, <clears throat> there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephratites, we'll say it like that, from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went into the country of Moab, and they remained there. Stop right there for just a moment. We find that there is a family And in the land of Bethlehem, there is a famine, a a great famine. The rain needs to come so the crops can grow, and the crops provide the food, but the rain has not come. There is a problem in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem means the house of bread. That's that's what the word means. It means there there is plenty, but in the house of bread, everything is dried up. There is famine, and there is no food. Now, it's very likely that the reason there is a famine is because the people have turned away from God. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, the Lord says, If you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And one that he lists is this. He says, The heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain on your land powder. From heaven, dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. And so it's very likely that the people of God have turned their face from God. They have become living in this stage of idolatry. And because of that, God withholds the rain from their land. And so they are in this terrible famine. Now, it's interesting to try to imagine that. I'll be honest with you, in my life, There's never been a meal that I did not know where it was coming from. Always had the next meal. Never had to worry about it. But I can imagine as a father looking at your your wife, looking at your two sons, looking at your children, and beginning to get concerned. Can't you imagine? You look outside and there's no food. There's no work. There's nothing. It's all dry. People are beginning to get hungry. And so you begin to look around and you begin to say, what are we going to do about this situation? It's tough. It's a bad situation. Some of you might have been in a situation like that. You don't know what to do next. You don't know where to go. You don't know where to turn. But you look at your wife, you look at your children, you look at your family, and you realize that something has got to give. 
I believe that when troubles come, we can do one of three things. We can endure it, we can escape it, or we can enlist it. And many times if we endure it, that means that our, our troubles become our master. And we become bitter and hard because of them. We know people like that, don't we? They've had some bad circumstances. They've had bad things in their life. And so those troubles become their reality. And the troubles begin to guide their very way of living. Many people respond to troubles just like that. There's no joy. There's no hope. There's no happiness. The trouble has come in and it has taken over my life. Others will try to escape it. They'll try to leave it. That's what we see in our text. Elimelech took his family and he tried to run from his problems. The problem with that is your problems oftentimes follow you. We see it when people try to find a new, a new marriage. Maybe their marriage is, is hard and they go to a new one, but that marriage is hard also. Maybe they're at a job, they don't like their job, and they go to a new job, but the problem is that job is difficult also. And so many times our problems follow us. Or we can learn to enlist our problems. They will become our servants instead of our masters. They will work for us. And God will work, what does the Bible say? God will work all things for our good and for his glory. That's what Romans 8 says. It says, don't let your troubles be your master. Learn to use your troubles. Learn to listen to God in those times. So Elimelech looks around, and there's a huge problem that faces him and his family. And I believe that he made a huge mistake. He went out. He left the people of God. He left the place of God. He left the house of bread, and he went to Moab. He went to the land of the enemy. Now, this, this is something he did. He went out and he walked by sight and not by faith. No matter how difficult circumstances may be, the safest place is right in the center of the will of God. We are to be a people who walk by faith, a people who claim the promises of God and obey the word of God. We obey the word of God in spite of what it looks like around us. It means that we commit ourselves to the Lord and we rely wholly upon him to meet our needs. And when we rely upon God and we walk in faith, it brings glory to God, it witnesses to a lost world, and it builds Christian character in our lives. The Bible tells us that the righteous will live by faith. We're to be a people of faith. We're to be a people that we are not driven by our circumstances. We're not driven by what is going on in the world around us. Because if we're honest, sometimes it can be tough. Amen? There's difficult times all around us in politics, in finances, in our relationships. There's always trouble around us. But as the people of God, we're walking by faith and we're not concerned with our circumstances. The next thing he did wrong was he majored on the physical and not the spiritual. We can understand this. He needed food to provide for his family. But he was more concerned with the physical food than the spiritual blessings. I think in our culture, there's a lot of times that we are more focused on the physical than the spiritual. You want an example of that? Look at, look at our parents and our young people. 
These are people I'm around all the time. And I know parents who would not let their child miss a t-ball or a baseball practice. Wouldn't miss it. They will not miss the next game. They will practice. They will work because this child is going to be the next all-star. And so they will invest hundreds, if not thousands of dollars into all the right equipment, the right helmets and the right bats and the right gloves, and they'll go to all the practices. But when it comes to the things of God, they'll neglect those things. They're concerned with the physical. They're concerned with making sure the children make good grades and they're popular in school and they're good at these sporting activities. But when you begin to talk about the spiritual things, we put those things on the back burner. And when we do that, we're concerned with the physical and not with the spiritual. We do the same thing as adults, don't we? We focus on our busy day and we've got our jobs to go to and we've got our things we must look after. And there's many times we'll go through the whole day and we won't spend any time with God. We'll look at all our to-do lists and all the things we've got to get done today and we'll hustle, hustle, hustle and we'll make sure we don't put this off to the side and we don't neglect this responsibility and we don't put this to the side. But we don't stop and think about how we're responding to God. And when we do that, we're focused on the physical needs all around us. We want to be a good husband and a good father and a good spouse and a good worker. And we want to be successful. And we want all these things which are good things. But what about God? What about the spiritual things? Elimelech was concerned with the physical but not the spiritual. And because of this, he honored the enemy and he did not honor the Lord. He went 50 miles to the neighboring land of Moab. He abandoned God, he abandoned God's people, and he went into the people of the enemy. You see, I, I know it's a Wednesday night crowd, and you've been through the Old Testament enough to know that the Moabites were not good people. They were not the people that, that God looked to. The Moabites were the descendants of Lot from his incestuous union with his firstborn daughter. We see that in Genesis 19. They were the enemies of the Jewish people because when the Jewish people left Egypt and they were on the way to the promised land, remember the Moabites came in and they, they were oppressive to the Israelites. Um, the, the Lord says in Psalm 68, it says, Moab is my wash pot. Moab is my wash basin. The picture is they are uh, humiliated. They're a nation that is washing the feet of the conquering soldiers. It says in Deuteronomy 23, it says, No Ammonite, Ammonite, or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And so it becomes obvious that the people of God should not go to Moab. But here's a father, and he takes his family and that's exactly where he goes. What did Elimelech do when he faced a problem? He took matters into his own hands. Do we read in the Bible where he got down on his knees and he began to pray and he began to seek the face of God? We don't see that, do we? Do we read in the Bible where he began to fast and he brought his family? He said, we're going to fast. We have, we have displeased God in some way. Let's put on a fast. Let's see if we can get this worked out. He didn't do that. 
Did he take his family and say, let's look inside of our heart. Let's see if there is any impure way that is not honoring God. He didn't do that. Did he take his family and say, let us repent because maybe there is sin in our life. He didn't do any of these things. What Elimelech did was he took things into his own hands. And the Bible says he took a trip to Moab. Now, it says he sojourned to Moab. It implies that it was, it was temporary. It wasn't a long-term move. It was not we're setting up shop in Moab. In his mind, he wanted to leave Bethlehem because things are tough in Bethlehem. And so he's going to take his family, they're going to go to Moab, and once the rain comes back to Bethlehem, then they will return. You know something I've found? I have found that the intention is never to stay outside the will of God. It's always these little trips that get us. These little trips to Moab that we're just going to go for a little while but we're not going to remain. How many affairs have started with a little trip to Moab, a little conversation, a little flirting at the office or at the gym, a little engagement on social media, these little bitty things that begin to start, and the intention is never to destroy a family. The intention is never to rip a family apart, but that is surely what happens. It's just a little trip to Moab. It won't take long. We'll be there quickly and we'll come right back. That's always the thought process, isn't it? How many alcoholics say it's just a little trip to Moab? It's just going to be one drink. The intention is never that they will begin living for the next drink and the next drink and the next drink. But it happens and it destroys families. You think about any sin you want to think about. We could stay here all night and we could talk about how it starts with just a little trip to Moab. And I'm sure as this family was walking from Bethlehem and they're traveling to Moab, they're speaking to each other and they're saying, we're not going to be here long. We need to be back with the people of God. We need to be in Bethlehem. We just have to, have to go here for a little while until the rain comes back. And so they make their journey and they make their excuses. You've heard this before, but it's, it's really true. Satan will always take you further than you want to go. He'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And he'll cost you more than you want to pay. There's a lot of truth to that. Many of us have lived some of that. We can testify to it. A little trip can turn into much, much more. You can see in the Bible where that happens. You remember in 2 Samuel chapter 11, the Bible says that David was up on the rooftop. When kings go to battle, he's supposed to be at battle, but he's not. He's on his, his rooftop. He's walking around, and the Bible says he sees a naked woman bathing on her roof. And then he, the Bible says he sees that she is beautiful. That tells us he took that second look. He didn't just look and turn away. He looked and he kept on looking. And you know the story. It led to adultery, which eventually led to murder. It, it was one little glance, one look in the wrong direction, but it totally changed the course of his life. Satan used it in a big way. 
Or what about Achan and Joshua 7? They go out to battle one day, and the spoils are to go to the Lord. He goes out, and he's looking around, and he finds this, this great treasure, and it's beautiful to him. He says, man, I would like to have that. And so he takes it, and he maybe puts it under his shirt a little bit. Nobody will know, just a, a little bit. Nobody will know the difference. And so he, he sneaks back to his tent, and he digs a hole under his tent, and he places that treasure, and he covers it back up. And he thinks nobody will know the difference. I've hidden it well. The Bible says that it leads to his death and the death of his entire family. One little trip to Moab, one wrong move, but yet Satan will use those in a large way. Look at, look at verse 3. Look at verse 3, Ruth 1, chapter 3. It says, But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. And these took Moabite wives, the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth, and they lived there about 10 years. He made a decision out of God's will when he went to Moab, and it led to another decision when the two sons married women of Moab. The Bible says that Malon married Ruth and Kilion married Orpah. The Bible teaches in Deuteronomy that Jews were forbidden to marry the Gentile women, especially those in Moab. It was the women of Moabite in the day of Moses who seduced the Jewish men and led them into immorality and idolatry. And if you remember, it led to the death of 24,000 people. They, they go to Moab to escape death, but the Bible says all three men found death the same. And did you catch how long they were in Moab? Ten years. It was a short trip, right? We're going to be there just a little while. And they turn around and ten years have passed. It was one bad decision and it led to a, another bad You ever notice that? When you start living a life of sin... Maybe you're caught up in something, and it leads to more, and it leads to more, and it leads to more, and you've got to do this to cover this up, and it just leads to a lifestyle of sin. We see it was one step outside the will of God, and it led to more and to more and to more. And now everything is gone. There are three lonely widows. There are three Jewish graves, and they're in the land of the heathens. It makes me think of this because I hear this, and it, it's a pet peeve of mine, I think. People have this nonchalant attitude about the will of God. You ever heard that? People just say, well, if it's the will of God, it'll happen. You hear people say that? Everything's going to work out. It's just going to be in the will of God. I do not believe that. I don't think that's biblical. I don't think that's right. I don't think this passage right here, this is not the will of God. This is a man that led his family outside the will of God. And because they're outside the will of God, they pay the price because of it. When we look in the Bible, we see episodes of sin that take us outside the will of God. And when we get outside the will of God, we must pay the price because of it. We can't just fall back and say, what's going to be is going to be. We are called to be the people of God that live for God. And we have that as long as we live our life in the center of his will. There are things that maybe I've been through or you've been through, and it was not the will of God. Listen, it could be that you had a marriage that did not last. That was not the will of God. 
Something went wrong, but that was not the will of God. The Bible says God hates divorce. It's not the will of God. It happened. God can still love you. God can still use that situation. God can still work through it. That's what we see in the book of Ruth. But it does not mean that was God's will. What we need to do as men and women is we need to make sure that we are living our life and we are leading our families to be as close to the center of the will of God as we can be. Do you notice back, in, back to verse 1, do you notice who is to blame because of this? Verse 1, it said, A man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn to the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The blame is not placed on Naomi. The blame is not placed on the two sons. The blame is placed squarely upon Elimelech, for he is to be the leader of his home. And so the Bible says when they go on this trip and they get outside the will of God, it is on Elimelech. It's a reminder to the men in here tonight. We're to lead our families. If my family is outside the will of God, that will come back on me. It's not my wife's job to lead our family. It's not on my children. It's on me. If my family is not growing spiritually, I'll be held accountable to that. Men, fathers, dads in here, that's the role that God has given us, that we are to lead our families. Death came because of their disobedience. The security of the family is gone. The protection of the family is gone. The future seems destroyed, and it looks like a hopeless situation. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, it says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. What happened? What happened in Bethlehem? God had visited the people. He had brought the rains. He had provided for their food. But notice that this family missed it. They missed the blessings of God. She's in Moab, and she has to hear what God did in her homeland. She had to just hear about it. She didn't get to experience it because she was not there. I think there's a lot of times that we have to hear about what God's done. We don't get to experience it. And you know why we don't experience it? Because we're outside the will of God. When we're outside the will of God, we miss the blessings of God. There's no doubt there have been many things in, in my life that I have missed out on because I was not faithful. There have probably been things in your life that you have missed out on because you were not faithful. How many lives could we have touched with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we never shared it, and so we missed the blessings? How many opportunities were wasted because we never seized them, we never took them? How many blessings were missed because we never stepped out in faith? We missed it. We hear about it. We hear about God working through individuals, and we hear about the Lord moving in these incredible ways. But there's a difference in hearing about it and experiencing it in our lives. And so here are these three women, and they hear that God has, has visited their land. And so they decide we're going to go back. 
I believe the motivation is still wrong. They're going back for food, but they begin to take this journey back. Now look at verses 7 and 8. We're going to move a little faster. It says, so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Now, do you notice what she's trying to do to these two ladies? What's she telling these ladies to do? Go back home, right? She's decided she's going to go back to Bethlehem. And maybe they begin the journey, but she begins to plead with these two women. You have dealt kindly with me, but now it's time for you to go home. Why would she do that? She's going back to the people of God. This is Moab is a pagan community. Why is she going to send these two women back to the pagan community and not bring them back to the people of God? If it was right for Naomi to go back, surely it was right for these two women to accompany her back to the people in the place of God? Remember, Moses did the same thing in Numbers. It said, uh, he's talking to his father-in-law, and he says, we're setting out for the place of which the Lord has said, I will give it to you. Come, go with us, and we will do good to you, for the Lord has promised good for Israel. He says, we're going. Why don't you come with us? Why don't you be a part of this? And so I would picture that as she's going and she's got these two women with her, she says, it's going to be okay. We're going back to Bethlehem. God is going to bless. Everything's going to turn around. But that's not what she does. She begins to plead with them and says, you need to go back. And I begin to think about it and wonder why she would do that. And I don't know. We're not told, but I, I kind of believe that she didn't want to take them back to Bethlehem because they are living proof that she and her husband had permitted her two sons to marry women from outside the covenant nation. In other words, these two women would point to the fact that they were disobedient in a large way. If she goes back by herself, she can cover it up. She can push it under the rug. She can pretend like it never happened. Nobody would know where they had been. Nobody would know that they had broken the law of Moses. And so I'm just thinking maybe she's trying to hide it. Maybe if she goes back to Bethlehem, she wants to go in by herself. She doesn't want to come into town with these two Moabite women. And so maybe she's being selfish right here. She doesn't want to bring them to God. She wants to push them back into the pagan community. Look at verse 11. It says, but Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back my daughters. Go your way for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying no, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and they wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Three times she encourages them to go home. Now keep reading. And she said, see, your sister-in-law, 
Verse 15, see your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Naomi was trying to cover it up. Orpah had given up, but Ruth was prepared to stand up. I love this passage of scripture. She's showing loyalty to Naomi. She says, I'm not going anywhere. There's nothing but death that is going to separate us. You say, what, what led to it? What led her to want to stay? What led her to want to go to Bethlehem? I believe during this time that she had learned to trust the God of Israel. I believe that God was calling her to Bethlehem, calling her to be a part of, of his people, to be a part of his nation. Her background was against her. Her circumstances were against her. But it was not enough to push her away. I believe that God intervened and graciously saved Ruth in spite of all these obstacles. I believe that what we see is the sovereign grace of God, which the Bible says God wills that, that all men will be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. You say, well, how is she to come? We just read in Deuteronomy where a Moabite cannot come into the people of God. A Moabite cannot join the people of God. How can she come into this congregation? She comes into it by throwing herself completely at his mercy. And that's what she does. She comes back to the people of God. She comes to the place of God. Let, let's finish it up and we'll be done. Look at verse 19. We can't leave the story hanging. So, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. People started looking. They started talking. And the women said, is this Naomi? She changed a lot in that 10 years. And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. She's bitter. Call me bitter. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, she says, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And so Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. That, that last verse is encouraging. Harvest is coming. It's a new season. It's a time of new beginnings. It's the time for a fresh start. And we don't have time tonight. Many of you know the story. But it turns out to be a, a new start for this family. A new start for Ruth. I, I'm just reminded as we close of this, God's not done. He's not finished. When you look at Ruth chapter 1, you see discouragement, don't you? I mean, you see a time where there are these women... They have nothing. They have no home. They have, they have nothing. They are totally broken. They're totally down. They're totally depressed. But as chapter 1 ends, it says, but the barley harvest is coming. 
the times are changing. Listen, it may be in your life that you're going through a, a tough time. You're going through a difficulty. You look around and your circumstances are tough. Just be faithful to God. Now, you've got a couple of options. You can be like a Limelech and you can go outside the will of God and it will bring destruction upon your life. Or you can stay. You can walk in faith and just believe that the harvest is coming. God's in control. He can handle it. Whatever it is, relationship problem, job problem, financial problem, whatever it is you're facing, God is still in control. We're not walking by sight. We're walking by faith. And we're trusting God. And we know that God is the God of fresh starts and new beginnings. Maybe you need that. Maybe the Lord's just showing you tonight something's about to happen. Something's about to change. Don't give up. Don't get outside his will. Don't go to Moab. You stay with God and with his people at his place and just watch and see what happens. Lord, we thank you for this day, God. Thank you for this week. It's been an incredible week uh, with, with great preaching and great music the last few days. And Lord, I thank you for these who have come back again, God. Come back and there's a hunger and a desire to hear more from your word. And Lord, I pray that you've spoken to each of us uh, through your, your word, God, through Ruth. I pray that we'll see that we're to be a people of faith. God, I pray if there are some of us in here and we are, we're going out to Moab, we're making decisions, God, that we shouldn't be making. Lord, I pray you got our attention tonight, and I pray that we will return to Bethlehem. Lord, for those of us in here who we just need a new beginning, maybe it's tough right now. Maybe we're going through a trial. Lord, I pray that in your grace and your mercy, God, that we will, we will see the hope we'll see that you're the God that brings the harvest. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll pour out the harvest upon your people. Lord, we, we pray for all the other ministries going on. Pray that you're being glorified in all that, are, that is done tonight. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you all for being here tonight. Um, hopefully, there's, was there a prayer list outside? Anybody? There was not. Okay. If you're not on the... Um, on the email list, the prayer list. If you'll get me your email, I'll put you on that. We're trying to do even, even better here lately of sending out up-to-date prayer reports and pictures so you can see who to pray for, what they're going through. I know we've got a lot right now that are in the hospital and sick. Uh, mention a, a few, and y'all help me out here. Richard Burks is still at uh, Good Shepherd in ICU recovering. He had a triple bypass the end of last week, wasn't it? And so he is uh, recovering, but it's, it's a slow recovery. And so keep Richard uh, in your prayers and Lynette. Uh, Lena Cooper is uh, having health fits and really doesn't know what's going on with her. They're waiting on uh, lab results to come back and have no answers but have lots of questions. She's not doing real well, sleeping a lot, tired a lot, and so need to lift her up and keep her in our prayers also. Um, Brother Raymond, uh, last I heard, they didn't even get to perform the procedure. I was with him early on a Tuesday morning before, and we prayed together, but uh, weren't able to do the procedure. They're looking at uh, working that out with medication or possibly with a pacemaker. And so we'll see more as, as that comes. Remember little uh, baby Emmeline Wheeler is uh, at Good Shepherd in the NICU and uh, not doing real well either. They've had a lot of problems and setbacks. Um, baby was born a couple weeks back and been in the NICU all this time. That's uh, Brady and Jennifer Wheeler's daughter. 
And so uh, keep, keep her in your prayers also. What else am I missing? Absolutely. Pray for Bob and Nora Chucky. We know Bob needs a miracle. They haven't given him a much longer to live apart from God intervening and working a miracle. And uh, thankfully, we serve a God that can do that if he wills. And so we are praying that God uh, will do that and trust in him nonetheless. Is, is Joy not feeling well? <clears throat> okay, Miss Joy's sick. Okay, pray for Joy. George and Janelle Brown will be traveling tomorrow, and weather is rough where they're headed, so keep the Browns in your prayers. Um, remember, the Brother Charles and the group is down in a, a revival service tonight, so pray for, for that as well. Remember our young people. Disciple Now will be this weekend. Always a lot of fun. I used to be really involved with that. Kind of excited I'm not as involved anymore with that. But they're going to have a, a good time and uh, pray lives are touched. All right. Anything else? Yes, ma'am. Okay, y'all have had a hit of it lately, haven't you? We'll be praying, okay? Anything else? All right, well, let's pray together, and we will be dismissed. Uh, Wes, would you pray for us, please?